Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is deep. It is with my friend, Coot Blackson. Coot is a best-selling author. He's a transformational speaker. He's known all around the world, and he has a very interesting background. He grew up in, I believe, Uganda, if I remember that correctly. He's a son of a revered spiritual leader by the age of eight. He was speaking to his father's congregations. They had something like 300 different churches. By 14, he was ordained as uh, a minister. Uh, And then he ended up leaving all of that, came to LA and became this big best-selling author, motivational, transformational speaker, figure, individual, very fascinating. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, It unlocks some of the deepest knots that we might have within ourselves around limiting belief systems, blocking us perhaps from the career that we want, the relationship that we want, the body that we want and things of the sort. And this conversation is not told in a kind of like transformational, spiritual, coach, wanky type way. Uh, I think Coot was very real in this conversation, and I think we got into some meaningful stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to this podcast, wherever you listen to it, so you get each week's episodes. If you want to watch the video, you can jump onto the Spotify app where we stream the video on every podcast. You can see it live in this. What's not live? But you can see it in the studio in Austin. It's a beautiful studio. Nice place. I think you guys dig it. Thanks for reviews. Thanks for joining you. Let's get to the conversation. Thanks for making time to do this, man. Thanks for having me. How was breath work for you? It's good, bro. Yeah. She's moving. Yeah. Body's alive. What does surrender mean to you, Coot? Surrender. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think in our culture, there's so many misconceptions about surrender. Uh, this idea that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, you know, that surrender is giving up. That if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat. You're going to be a victim. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be left behind. It's like waving the white flag. And so based on some of these sort of definitions or preconceived ideas, who the hell wants to surrender? It's not particularly inviting to surrender, you know? So I wanted to, let's say, reframe or create a different paradigm of surrender as a possibility that was inviting, that was exciting. And so for me... You know, my question is like, what if in surrendering, truly surrendering, you didn't get less in life? This idea that like, if I surrender, I'm not going to manifest my goals. I'm not going to manifest my dreams. I'm not going to manifest my desires. And so there's this resistance to surrender, you know? And so for me, the question is like, what if you surrendered and you got more? Like you got more, like in truly surrendering, you got more than you could have even imagined with your own limited conscious person personality ego identity awareness maybe not what you expected maybe not what you thought you wanted but better but beyond but what you truly needed for your highest evolution and so for me surrender is just simply a letting go of control or the illusion of control. I think control is a master addiction that we have. So if the last maybe few years showed us anything as a humanity, maybe it showed us that we weren't as in control as we thought. Um, I think for me, surrender is when we stop trying to manipulate life and force life and things and relationships and experiences to be what we think they should be, what we are imposing on reality that they should be. It's a it's a letting go of the idea of who we think we should be, 
which is often based on conditioning from the past and childhood and society, et cetera, et cetera. It's a letting go of the idea of, of who we think we should be, how we think life should be, and it's being open. It's an openness. It's an availability. It's when you take the limitations off of life and you're open, you're curious, you're available to life in its innate intelligence, showing you, revealing itself to you. You know, it's a willingness to, I think, for me, embrace the unknown and to not know. And I think the degree to which we're able to, which can feel scary to the mind and to the ego and to our personalities, which have been conditioned from childhood to control everything. You know, this idea that if I can control everything about my life, understand everything, control my mind, control my body, control my pet, control my children, control the government, control the weather, then maybe I won't get hurt again like I was hurt. So there's this sort of conditioned nature that we have been programmed to try to control everything as a mechanism of survival and safety. And so when we say surrender, that for our perceived sense of self, our ego, that feels fucking terrifying. It feels like a, it feels like a death to our perceived sense of self. Mm -hmm. And so for me, control is a, when you take, like if I look at the truly great ones that I respect, Jesus, Buddha, you know, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. Chris Farley. Uh, Chris Farley, yeah. <laughs> Chris guy. Farley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's out of left field. That's an interesting one. Uh, you know, <laughs> Mandela, you know, Bruce Lee, yeah. as an example, talked about the flow, right? Um, even Elon Musk, love him or hate him, I think he was a great sort of example of a possibility of surrender. Here's a guy who makes 250, $200 million in PayPal money most of us would disappear, buy an island and, you know, just retire. He feels a calling and he invests everything he has following his, his calling, you know, Tesla, you know, all the other companies. And so for me, that is a version of surrender. And so for me, surrender is the courage to listen to your deepest truth, the, cur the, the courage to follow your soul's intuition, that deeper knowing, even if you're not sure where it's going to go. Yeah. So I think, I think when I look at the truly great ones, at some point, they all surrendered themselves, whether they were conscious or not. I'm not saying Elon Musk was consciously surrendering, but he still demonstrated a level of surrender. So I think all of these great ones at some point surrendered themselves to their deeper purpose, a purpose that was bigger than themselves, their deeper intuition, their souls, their the divine, the universe, life. And in that surrender, I think a lot of these humans, they were human beings, imperfect, but they transcended their own ego's capacity to create and they tapped into, I think, another dimension of life. And I think life, like life began to use Gandhi, life began to use Mother Teresa, life began to use these people and life is what began to manifest through them. And so I think what life can do through us when we truly surrender, in my experience, in my humble experience of living, uh, I think what life can do through us is more than what we can do on our own. Mm. So I'm uh, excited about surrender. How I am too. I think it's a kind of can be a bit of a like a nebulous concept for many people. And I think that it could there could be you know there's, there's broad definitions of surrender. There's like yeah. surrendering to your enemy, you know, which probably for a lot of yes. people, particularly like masculine people, like no screw that. Yeah. Like I'll never back down. I'll die on my shield. You know. And then there's surrender to maybe love. Yeah. And then there's surrender to maybe God or right. surrender to some like higher version of yourself. Mm -hmm. 
And there's different layers of that. And, you know, I think that the, the kind of question that comes up for me is how does a person, if you're inside the soup can, it's hard for you to be able to read your own ingredients, yeah. you know, inside the jar. And so getting to a point of, of even realizing that perhaps I do have some level of, of fear of allowing this illusion of control to slip out of my hands, you know? Yeah. You know, surrendering is, you know, when we talk about surrendering to an enemy, I think that can be giving up more than anything. Or, you know, sometimes people can use surrender or hijack the word surrender even spiritually, like, oh, I'm going to surrender and go with the flow of whatever I feel like. So I'm going to like eat 17 tubs of, you know, hagen dazs I'm just surrendering to whatever is arising. And to me, that's right. just being a slave to your own conditioning, to your own sort of limited biological urges. That's not surrender. I think surrender is when you really- What is that? What is what? That To me, that is a conditioned response. That's not freedom. That's just being a slave to your conditioning. Mm. It's like perpetuating slavery it, it's, in it, the it's, guise of surrender. It, it, it's perpetuating slavery in the guise of surrender, thinking that you're surrendering, but it's really sort of a spiritual bypass of surrender. Oh, I'm just surrendering because I'm going to do whatever I feel like, whenever I feel like it. I don't feel like writing my book. I don't feel like exercising. And so surrender is not, to me, that's just fucking laziness more than anything, that's not surrender. Sometimes surrender is, is, is being in touch with the deeper sense of what you are really committed to and not following your current mood because you have a commitment bigger than your current mood. That's surrender. Uh, and so like, for instance, when I wrote the book, The Magic of Surrender, I didn't once feel like writing. I didn't once feel the inspiration because I hate writing. I just like talking. So I didn't once feel the inspiration to sit down and, and like set up my desk. And I didn't feel like it one time, but I felt that there was a deeper message that I was destined to communicate. I felt that there was a deeper something that wanted to come through. I felt the souls of people that would perhaps read the book and be inspired in some way. And so for me, my commitment was to that. And so surrender was sitting my ass down in the chair and writing, sitting myself down in the chair with my editor, even when I didn't feel like writing and making myself follow through on the thing I was more committed to, which was impact, which yeah. was changing a life. So to me, that's, it's like that's surrender. Surrendering to discipline. Yeah. And that I think in, in the discipline, there is a tremendous, tremendous freedom, mm. you know? And so I tell people, don't use surrender as an excuse or an abdication of your own responsibility, you know? And you mentioned the word fear. And I think that when we say surrender, it's natural that there's gonna be fear. It's natural that there will be resistance. It, to me, this is totally natural because I think what it is that resists is the ego. But also on the flip side, Surrender, I feel, is, I don't say it's easy because it doesn't feel easy. On the other side of it, it's easy. It, on the other side, it, it, it's our natural state. Yeah. It's our inherent, innate state. I would challenge anyone to think about, you don't even have to be spiritual. You don't have to be into any of this stuff, just a human being. If anyone thinks about their most beautiful sexual experience, blissful, beautiful moment of, ecstatic lovemaking, a nice sexual experience. Did you sit down with a book, a business plan, a game plan, you know, a 17 page outline with your partner and go, okay, honey, 
two minutes into this experience, turn left, kiss me this way, move this way, move that way, and then control that way, move that. For, for most of us, our most blissful sexual experience was because we weren't necessarily in control. There was a, we've all experienced surrender in our life at some point, let's say even the moment of orgasm. That was a moment of letting go, a moment of losing control. And I think part of why it was so blissful because for a glimpse of a moment of a second, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, we let go. You know, we let go of control. And I think it's that letting go of control that is blissful. So we've all had the moment of surrender. And so I think surrender is our natural state. If you look at a child, We've all been children. We've all had those moments where we were free, free to just, you know, a child will jump on the table naked, doesn't give a shit how it looks, yeah. doesn't care how it looks on Instagram, what people are gonna think, just runs, pees on the floor, until we start telling the, the kid, hey, that's not cool, that's not okay, that's bad, bad girl, bad boy. We're just being whatever the hell we're being, totally, you could say, surrendering to the free flow of energy that is moving through us. We will sing, uh, we don't care if we don't sound like Bruno Mars or Celine Dion, we will cry, we'll hit our head, cry, Surrender to that moment, get it over and done with. Two weeks later, we're not sitting there thinking about shit. I hit my head two weeks ago, what was wrong with me? We're just being with whatever's arising, you know, with the full open curiosity, without having to project into the future, knowing what this means or what, what this doesn't mean. We're just available. To me, that's surrender. But the thing is, with these free beings, we incarnate into this human experience. We meet our parents. They're just trying to do the best that they know how to do based on their childhood and their conditioning and their upbringing and their parents. And so now we're kind of born into a preset framework of conditioning. Maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom's an alcoholic. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe, maybe they're great people, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. So the first thing is, you know, we learn often unconsciously all sorts of strategies to shut down and disconnect and not feel. And we suppress feelings and suppress feelings and suppress feelings and our light, our essence gets hidden underneath the layers of sort of suppressed and unexpressed emotions and feelings. And we learn all sorts of mechanisms to sort of, uh, to deal with the pain of what's going on around us. So we erect all sorts of defense mechanisms around our heart in order to not feel, which becomes a form of control. So we start learning this mechanism of control unconsciously from a very young age as a way of survival, as a way of just, just dealing with reality. You know, then we go into life, yeah. sense of who do I need to be in order to get love and validation and approval. So we start as children, very young, contorting ourselves into a kind of shape to get love and validation and approval from mom, from dad, from parents. We become who we think we need to be in order to be loved, in order to fit in, in order to be normal, right? And this, this version of ourselves that we become, which is who we think we need to be in order to, to be accepted, is what we think we are. And that, you know, that holding on, that sense of meanness, that sense of identification, Aaron, Coot, Jessica, John, whoever we think we, 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 we've been conditioned to be becomes who we think we are, but we hold on to it so tightly as a way of being because this is how we function and survive. You know, it's how we got our needs met. And so the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. The degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we are, you could say, in ego, right? Ego to me is the identified sense of what we believe ourselves to be. So the degree to which we're holding on to that 
is the degree to which we're not free. So when you say surrender, but now here we are holding on to a sense of self, a sense of idea of who we are, surrender, I think, for the perceived, the perceived sense of what we believe ourselves to be, which is not what we truly are. It's just conditioning feels terrifying. And it is terrifying because I think for the ego, surrender feels like a death. It is. Yeah, it is a death and it feels like a death. But here's the thing, it's not a death to what we are, really. It's a death to what we believe ourselves to be. It's a death to what we've been conditioned to believe ourselves to be, you know? And so I think when we can just be aware of that, like the, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence. The ego's job is to protect us from getting hurt, like we were hurt when we were five. And so surrender feels, I think is natural and normal that surrender feels scary yeah. and terrifying. So I think if we can just understand this mechanism, uh, the set of patterns that we've been conditioned to be, you don't even have to like force yourself to surrender because sometimes, sometimes a deeper surrender is just acknowledging that I'm not surrendered right now and that I'm resisting right now. And to, to be able to find a way to meet your resistance with compassion, mm. you know, to meet your resistance without force, to meet like, okay, I'm not, I'm not surrendered right now. I think also life will eventually surrender you. Do this you is surrender in this in this in this particular model and definition. This is for sure. And like the, like the, the the body is geared to heal. You know, if you get a cut on your finger, if you get sick, you know, any of the things like your immune system, like you don't need to do any of that. It's the same thing with trauma. It's the same thing with bracing or contractive patterns or anything of the sort. And I think something that can uh, come as perhaps like a relief is you might not even need to quote unquote surrender in this lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it's fucking 10 lifetimes from now. Yeah. Like you're just on a train. We are in the bro. process. <laughs> we are in you the know, process of being do, surrendered. Do less. Yeah. You know, like 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 life is massaging you into where you need to be. Yeah. You know, and and double binding oneself with the story that oh I need to surrender more or oh I need yeah. to do this, that probably at like a meta level is actually just a, a part of your learning that you don't even realize. Yeah. And like life is kind of doing it for you. Life is doing it, man. And that is surrender. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, it feels as you're, as you're talking about it, it feels almost like some of those patterns, it almost like the like a, a visual or analogy, it's, it feels like almost like an old vestigial part of yourself, like a vestigial limb, you know, that's like that, like that, the, the, like, whatever the adaptive pattern was to get you through that situation with your mom or your dad or at school or whatever it was, it served you at that point, it was an adaptive pattern that was very supportive it allowed you to survive yeah. and now you know the analogy of like the carrying a, a building a kayak or whatever building a boat to get across a river and then you carry that boat along with you through the woods and you bang it up against trees for the next 10 years yeah those are those vestigial parts yes they were adaptive patterns yeah. you can love them you can value them yeah. you can say thank you so much like i love you so much like you kept me alive That's thank you yeah. and we can there's probably a deeper level of freedom here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. To be able to meet those, those parts of us that are holding on, that we so identify of as me, to be able to meet that with loving, you know, and compassion mm. and understanding, uh, seeing what they have been serving. You know, and I think that, that, that if we can hold those, those aspects of ourselves just with some love and compassion, then 
I think they begin to just relax and yeah. fall away naturally. Yeah, it's like a Venus flytrap. Yeah. You know, the harder the harder a person pushes against these aspects of themselves that they that they, you know, feel like they don't accept or don't love or whatever. It's like, oh no. I'm, yeah. I'm whatever. I'm selfish. Yeah. I'm narcissistic. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm bracing, you know, what like whatever the thing is that you're like, I don't like that. Uh there's probably a way to find love for that part. Yeah. Which will lead to some deeper release, which sounds like some, you know, maybe like new age hoo-ha. But I think but there's like true. a physics to it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like... It's I think when we don't resist it, then we can just be with it. And that's part of surrender, you know. And I think right. I think healing happens when we really bring loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. And often those parts of ourselves that have been holding on, those adaptive parts, you know, got created out of some pain. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really the loving and the compassion and the understanding that underlying these patterns is usually a positive intention they're trying to get something for us but they've just learned to do it in a very limiting way yeah from your i, I looked through your uh podcast different titles and one of, one of them on there was around love it's like three ways you're blocking yourself from love how do i don't you, remember that podcast no it's okay you don't remember <laughs> it i didn't listen to the to the thing exactly i was just kind of like oh that's that's interesting how do how from your perspective how do people unknowingly block themselves from love unknowingly mm. um i think a lot of it is unknowing because we're conditioned in certain ways i mean i'll, I'll speak i'll give an example for myself um you know growing up i was kind of by myself for the most part i got a lot of love from my mother um, but my father was never around and so I grew up with this sense that uh, I could not rely on my father. He was not there for me. Mm. And so you could say unknowingly, I became very independent. I became, which I thought was a great thing. And to a degree, it is a great thing. I became very self-sufficient. And I became a person that didn't need anybody. And you grew up in Uganda until you were three. I, I grew up in Ghana. Ghana, sorry, yeah. not Uganda, sorry. Yeah, till I was three, then I was in London. And why did you leave Ghana? So, okay, we'll back up there. So I was yeah. born in Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I think this is important. So let, let, let's start there and then we'll, we'll, we'll fast forward. So yeah. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana, my mother's Japanese. And I grew up in London. And so just to give people a bit of backstory that, that may help, uh, my first memories as a young boy uh, was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing uh, blind people see and deaf people hear. People stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man whose gravel she picked up uh, would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, hey, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not six. It's like, stand up. Like, do you believe? Yeah, I believe. Stand up. Like, if you believe in the power inside, like, stand up. And they would stand up. Wow. Uh, person would come in with crushes. Why do you have these, why are you, why, why, are you, why are you using crushes? Like there's power inside of you. And he would look at them straight up and say, throw these crutches away. This negotiation would go on for about five minutes and they would be walking. And so week after week, I grew up seeing, and this wasn't on YouTube, this was like right here, as close as I am to you, I grew up seeing miracles. Now as a child, I thought this was completely normal. I thought this was everyone's reality. I didn't realize this was a little different. And uh, so this man was my father. He built uh, about 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds of thousands of followers, had a huge church in London. 
about four to five thousand people every Sunday. My father was a very mystical kind of guy. Was this Christian church? Or what, what? Started off Christian, but he was a very non-traditional. He went to India in the 60s and 70s and had what some would say were enlightenment experiences, went to caves and met levitating monks and had certain awakenings, which I didn't know till I was in my 20s. And so uh, he was, by the time I was born, he was very much a believer that Christ wasn't just some person that you had to worship that was going to be the source of your salvation, that Christ was a consciousness that was accessible and, and available within us all that we were we oh. incarnated in order to realize. So I was very blessed in that sense. You know? Like he was like an OG Christian. It's he like, was like, yeah. Like, it sounds like a real Christian. He was like a real authentic mystic. Yeah. He, I call him um, a cross between, he was a, African Siddha, a cross between Muktananda, Sai Baba, and T.D. Jakes, wow. you know, rolled into one. And, and in many ways, you know, not an easy human, but a great man in his own way. And I had many, many, many challenges with this guy uh, throughout my life that I had to work through, which we can talk about. But when I was age eight, my speaking career began because I was thrown into the audience one day. My father said, speak. No idea. I was more interested in playing soccer, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and stuff started coming through that I didn't understand. Mm. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister to kind of given the mandate to take over my father's organization. Just, we didn't talk about it. This is my father's style, announces uh, to the congregation one, one Sunday, my son is taking over my ministry and everyone's excited but me. Whoa. And uh, I, I, no one t told me about it, but it, it, it never felt, um, it didn't feel right. Something inside did not feel really aligned with this path. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to inspire people in some way. I, f I had a sense of my intuition of my destiny to impact people, but I didn't feel it was through religion or church or, you know, and so, you know, at 14, I was a kid. I, I, I didn't say anything, uh, went along with it, got ordained, everyone was happy. Uh, was the guy that was going to take take things to the next level. And I went through like four years of deep, profound, like inner turmoil and questioning and conflict and, you know, tried to fit myself into what I thought people wanted me to be and my father. My fear was if I speak my truth, if I tell tell everyone how I really feel, I'm going to lose everyone's love. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be, I, I won't have a, a relationship with my father. And so I said nothing for four years. Mm. And uh, that's when shit hit the fan at 18 and I had to make some decisions. Um, and I felt a calling in my soul to come to America, specifically to Southern California, specifically to LA, because as a kid around age 10, I began sneaking into my father's office uh, in order to read some of his self-help books. He had a bunch of literally a thousand spiritual books on his shelf. Um, Eastern mystics like Osho, Krishnamurti, Maharishi Meshyogi to Wayne Dyer, Louis Hay, you know, to Uspensky, Gurdjieff. And so I became obsessed with trying to just understand life as a kid. Mm. And uh, I read a Krishnamurti book at 14. That's when I knew I was in trouble because here's a guy who was being groomed to take over, right? And yet left the Theof Theosophical Society, I think it was, left everything behind. And in that moment, I knew what I had to do. And so it took me four years to muster up the courage. But uh, when I turned 18, I looked into my future and I saw that 
I could, I could be successful following the expected path, but if I didn't have my own integrity, if I didn't have my own soul, if I didn't have my own truth, all I was doing was just living a lie and betraying myself, and that felt so painful. And I, and I, and I realized if I begin living this lie now at like 18, I'm going to have to live this lie for the rest of my life. And that felt really painful. So uh, I felt my soul calling me to come to the U.S. You know, sometimes when your soul guides you, when you feel this deeper pull that's bigger than yourself, it's not always convenient. It doesn't always make sense to your mind. It's not always comfortable, but it felt undeniable. And that's when I spoke to my father. And we had a conversation, which was terrifying, left everything behind. Uh, we didn't speak for two years, uh, which was, again, very heartbreaking. But uh, I just felt something bigger than myself pulling me. So we left, to back up, we left uh, Ghana when I was age three because of a coup. My father was the spiritual advisor to the president at the time. Uh, he was his spiritual teacher. And they killed the president. They were looking for my father, who happened, again, grace, happened to be out, out of the country. They were literally looking to kill my father. He couldn't come back. My mother and I were literally smuggled out of, of Ghana and couldn't go back to, to Ghana for mm. um, many years. Mm. So ended up in London. I want to take a moment and share a free resource with y'all to sort out your movement that is starting the first free week of the Align Method online program where you get a thorough movement assessment to establish what is your personal movement baseline. And then on top of that, we share fundamental mobility techniques that will make a massive difference in your own personal practice if you do any type of stretching or yoga or foam rolling or resistance band training or training in general you want to get the most out of your body these are must know mobility techniques and then it finishes with a sit rise challenge so you can test yourself and see how effectively you get up and down off of the ground that is the first week of the align method online program it's a six-week program you can start the first week at alignpodcast.com slash a m p and with that, you will also join the free Align community where there's over 3,000 other members in there. So I pop in there each day, totally free. The first week is totally free. And then if you don't love the idea of continuing on with the six-week program, then you can cancel anytime. So check us out over at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. I don't know what the quote is. And I, I'm like not even able to paraphrase it, but like there's, you might know the one if I butcher it and stumble into it somehow like many men or most men live like quiet lives of like desperation, desperation. despair or something like yeah. that where it's just yeah. like kind of just marching along this this train of unfulfillment it's yeah. like it's like it's good enough yeah you want to stay stay comfortable you know i don't want this tall poppy syndrome i don't want to get too big you know and i think that that's likely probably you know going to be one of the greatest regrets of a person's life yeah and that they didn't love enough they didn't yeah. open their heart yeah for sure for sure how do we avoid that you know i think one of the places that we can start um and this is for me has been a theme of my life and a constant inquiry i think that one of the things that keeps us stuck are all the ways that we lie to ourselves I think as human beings, because of our conditioning, because of childhood, because, because of so many things that have happened, uh, we're constantly lying to ourselves. And 
in many ways, we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves. We think that who we are is who we really are. No, this is just who I am. This is just what I believe. And we don't question, you know, we're stuck in this ego pattern of not questioning because the ego doesn't want to change. The ego wants everything and everyone else to change, but it doesn't want to change because that's that's its method of self-preservation. And so it's like a I think- It's like a parasite. Yeah. So I think lying to ourselves is one of the strategies that we have learned to keep ourselves comfortable, to keep ourselves safe. And so we end up staying in relationships that we know, we know it's not aligned. We know we're no longer in love. We know it's not working anymore. And I think deep down there's a part of us at the deepest level, if we're really honest, that knows everything. If we're really honest, we know. There is a knowing inside of us that knows. And we often deny it because we're afraid of the consequences. And so we stay in relationships that we know aren't aligned. We work jobs that we freaking hate that betray our integrity. We say yes when we mean no. And it kills us inside. And so I think a place that people can start as a practical, simple, but not always easy place is just look at the lies that you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Sounds easy. And on some level, it's easy. Or simple, I should say. Not always easy because of our conditioning. But if we were just to begin with, what lies am I telling myself? Just the raw, real, ruthless, simple truth. What lies am I telling myself? And just start there. To me, there's no transformation without truth. You can't meditate your way there and be bullshitting yourself in within yourself and in life. To me, truth, truth is real spiritual practice. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real prayer. Truth is real medicine. To me, truth is truth is the thing. I think if we truly started to honestly tell ourselves the truth, many of the issues that we are praying about and meditating about would begin to dissolve would begin to unravel. You know, we, we pray to God, say, God, please help me with this issue. Meanwhile, we're lying to ourselves. God says, no, go home, start telling the truth. And so just asking yourself, okay, what lies am I telling myself? What am, what am I pretending to not know? Because the moment we start telling ourselves the truth, surrendering to the truth, the ego comes in as a self-preservation mechanism. It's like, well, I, I'm confused. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if this person is right for me. I, I don't know what my purpose is. We do, we have a freaking sense of what it is. You know, we have a sense, I don't, I'm not sure what my, we do know, but often this egoic self-preservation mechanism sort of creates a, a smoke screen of confusion. Because if we're confused, then I don't actually have to like put myself out there. I don't have to like make a decision. I don't have to go for it and risk potential failure. I can always stay on the sidelines, look at everyone else, and have the potential future hope of the fantasy of the possibility for the rest of my life and always have that dream as a possibility without taking the risk and maybe falling down without taking the risk and being heartbroken. And so I think this game of confusion has to stop because when we stop being pretending that we're confused, we don't have anyone else to blame. And so for instance, maybe people can just sit with, because somebody might be saying, no, I really don't know. If you look back, and I've done this myself, so I'm, I'm busting myself. If you look back on perhaps a relationship in the past and you were confused, I'm not sure, should I stay? Is this right? Is this person right? And maybe for two years, you went back and forth, back and forth, dilly-dallying, talking to your friends about it, wasting so much time about it. And all your friends knew 
And you're like, well, maybe if I just, maybe not, we don't. We started negotiating with ourselves. We negotiate our entire lives away, right? But the moment you broke up with that person, the moment you broke up, call your friend. Hey, yeah, I broke up. I, I knew it wasn't going to work. You, we, we know. And so we have to start owning that knowing, you know? And so we have to want the truth more than we want what we have. We have to want the truth more than we want what we think we want. And so just starting with the truth. And what I would just encourage people, this is something I am constantly in the process of doing within myself, is just take the pressure off of yourself of having to even take action. Yeah. Simple, I just wanna simplify. Just, you don't have to take action. You don't have to break up. You don't have to leave the job, but just acknowledge the truth. I hate my job. Mm -hmm. Say it. Just say it. Words are powerful. Feel it, own it, confess it. I hate my job. Don't use gratitude as a spiritual bypass to not deal with what you really feel. Yeah. Like, I hate my job. Doesn't mean you leave it. But just see what that brings up. That will begin a process. I'm no longer in love with my partner. I haven't been in love with her for five years. Mm. It's scary. It's gonna bring some pain up. It's gonna bring some grief up. But you can't change anything. You can't shift anything if you're lying to yourself about it. And so I think that's a place, to me, that's why I say truth is spiritual practice. You know, And sometimes we distract ourselves with yoga and meditate and all these other things rather than just telling the freaking truth. Just straight up, this is the deal. And so when we, maybe the third thing would be to acknowledge the pain. Because when we lie to ourselves, it's painful. It's meant to be painful. It's not meant to feel good when you lie to yourself. Like I lie to myself, I bullshit myself, and I feel amazing. Something, something is off. When we lie to ourselves, pain is the is the result. And so, what we often do in our culture is we distract ourselves from the pain. You know, we have all so much entertainment in our culture today. Social, we social media it away. We exercise it away. We work it away. We podcast it away. We 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 eat it away. We sex, you know, porn it away. Shop it away, just so we don't have to deal with the pain that keeps us numb, anesthetized in a coca coma that keeps us just going right. And then fifty years go by, and then we end up dead, and now we're like shit. We die with with so many regrets, and so I would just invite people to feel the pain. Feel it. Don't medicate it away. Don't even meditate it away. Meditation can be a bypass. Like I'm going to transcend my body. I'm going to transcend what I'm feeling and I'm going to go to a higher dimension, open to the blue light. No, get in your body and feel the pain of how shitty this feels. Feel it because that pain is feedback. The pain is a blessing. That pain is a messenger. It, it, you know, the pain is there for a reason, just trying to give you, um, it's showing you where you're not in alignment, you know? And so I think, if we're willing to just embrace the, not wallow in it, but embrace the pain as a- Metabolize tr it. Truth Digest serum. It. Yeah. Be with to, it. to be able to go, okay, this hurts. Fuck, it's, it's meant to hurt. I hate my job. It hurts. Feel that because then that will just start moving you into a deeper relationship with truth so that you can begin to take action. And so I would just say, start with the truth. That alone, I think, can transform one's life. Mm. You can't change something if you're not being honest about where you truly are at. But the, the sneaky thing is, ego doesn't want to be honest about where it's at. Because ego wants to constantly seek and seek and seek and seek. And it, it, ego doesn't want to find its purpose. Because the moment you find your purpose, you kind of have to do something about it. So ego wants to be in a constant quest of reading another book about 
how do I find my purpose? How do I find my purpose? I have best friends who are like, they're still trying to find my pur- their purpose. You know, this is the year, Coot, I'm going to find my purpose. Stop. I say, stop trying to find your purpose. Stop. Stop it. This moment is your freaking purpose. Right here, <laughs> right now. You're a soul. You know, you've incarnated into this human experience. To learn, to grow, to evolve. Life is the classroom for your soul's evolution. So the bottom line, if you're here to grow and evolve, every single experience, situation, relationship, everything is a learning opportunity. If you're willing to evolve and learn and use it that way. So every moment is your purpose, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're working in the grocery store, whether you're shitting, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're a mother, whether you change, every moment is your purpose. And so I think when we embrace that, it changes everything. And so ego doesn't want the truth. It doesn't want to find its purpose, you know? And so like I just tell people that might might be using the lies as a distraction from living this moment is start where you are now. But I don't know what my purpose is. Start where you are now. Just simply start by two things. Go in the direction of what lights you up. Just just take a step. You don't have to there's this myth that you have to have it all fit. You have to know where you're going. I think this is a lie. You don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be. And many of us, we try to project and strategize and plan our entire future, which becomes another mechanism of control. Because if I can control everything, know everything, analyze everything, understand everything, I'm not gonna get hurt. And the truth is, it's not true. There's so much of our life that is unknowable. There's so much of life that is in the realm of the unknown, you know? I think if all of life was in the known, it would be so limited. If you think you know, you're probably more lost than your neighbor that that's that's a quote right there if you, th- <laughs> if you think you know you're probably more lost and sometimes it's in the moment where you think you are the most lost that you are actually closer than you even think that's correct and so like if someone's like oh, how do i find my purpose stop looking just go in the direction of what lights up your soul go in the direction because sometimes as you take a step you grow and evolve as you take another step you grow and evolve. As you take another step, you learn the lessons along the way that your soul needs to learn that you wouldn't learn if you sit on the sidelines by trying to like figure it out and staying in the confusion. But if you take that step, life then I I found reveals itself to you in the process of living life itself, much of which you couldn't figure out from your current level of consciousness from the sidelines, you know, 10 feet away. It's only when you grow and evolve that you take the step that then life shows you. Yeah, it's like following feel. Yes. Like that's something that's, that's, we're not really, bred with with at least I wasn't in this culture so yeah. much and you know we're a lot of things but one of the things we are is energetic beings in the very literal scientific and metaphysical like all the ways we're definitely energetic beings and there's certain people places experiences thoughts feelings etc that cause our blood vessels and our nervous system and our heart and everything to open and expand it's a feeling yeah, that's the, that, I think that, that's a and key. And there's some things that cause it to contract. That's the key element to surrender. You don't need to say, ah, oh, okay, it's it's this quantitative value or it's this defi- like, you know, definition that I learned from commercials or whatever. It's just like you can start to invest bandwidth into feel for, and become a feeling body and allow that feeling. to be your compass. Yeah. And that's, you'll probably be, if you could just figure that out, you'd probably be, you know, pretty good. I think part of surrender is allowing life to lead you. Mm-hmm. It's allowing life to show you. It's like a metal detector on a beach. It's allowing life to reveal itself to you. And so part of that is a willingness to let go of the need to know. 
you know. And I think when we do when we do that, it's also a letting go of the need to impose meaning on everything that happens. Because many times when we impose a meaning, something happens, we impose a meaning. That meaning is being generated from the limitation of our conscious mind, the limitation of our past experiences, and now we limit the experience. So I think when we can really be courageous enough to say, I, I don't know, and then cultivate the spirit of curiosity. So I don't know, I don't know what this means versus I know what this means. I know what this person is. I know this person is my soulmate. I, I don't know what this is. Mm. But then you have the spaciousness to not limit life and the experience of this innate intelligence, but allow life to show you what is the highest expression of what is seeking to happen and then follow that. You know, it becomes kind of like surfing. Mm. You know, the great surfers, they're, they're, they're on, the, on the surfboard and they're feeling they're yeah. feeling the way. They're not making the ocean. They're not taking a, a, a fire hose and like making a wave. They're just feeling the wave. And then they're moving w in harmony with the ocean and catching the wave and they're surfing the wave. Does that mean they're just sitting there doing nothing? No, but when the wave comes, they go into efforting, but efforting with the flow. Yeah. They're in alignment with the flow. Keep yourself in the pocket. You can feel when you're coming out of that yeah. pocket and you're like, oh, okay, I need to actually make energy. I need to ex to expend yes. calories to yes. bring myself back into the pocket. Yeah. But because I'm a, a, a sensitive, sentient being that understands the waves, I'm able to, and the mechanics of that and surfing and momentum and all of that, I'm able to actually guide myself back mm -hmm. into that pocket. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm 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 just figuring that out in life. Yeah, how to stay in the pocket. I feel like I've like I forced. Like, I feel I feel like I've like it's a it's a life path, man. It's a life path. Yeah, and also like the, like believing that you deserve to be in the pocket. Like that's something that I've learned about myself is that there's been a lot of um, almost like deep internal unaddressed subconscious yeah. uh, shame. Mm. You know, and and I think like a deep sensation of feeling like. Uh, I don't deserve credit. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve validation. I don't deserve to be like, uh, to feel safe, you know, and to feel just like, oh, like I'm here, you know, I'm home. You know, like I haven't earned that. You know, and I think that that like coming into those those parts and, and being very honest yeah. and being able to speak yeah. those parts within yourself, not making up stories, not like a fake vulnerability, but like, if you allow yourself the space to tap into that subconscious, it's it knows how to heal. It knows. It's just a matter of most of our lives, since we're very young, we're bombarded by static and we're bombarded by commercials and bombarded by other people's projections of their ideas and their stories of all of the things. And it's just all fucking baggage. And underneath that is you're as wise as anything could be wise. There's a knowing. Yeah. There's an innate intelligence, man. You, as you said, cut your finger. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. You can be Pablo Escobar. You can be Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter. There's an intelligence, an innate intelligence that knows what to do. It knows how to bring your body back into harmony. With, if you just create the space, you know, you keep it clean. There's trillions and trillions and trillions and tr as you know, trillions of cells inside of our body right now that are doing its own thing without us. We're not even like. We did some breath work before, but right now we're not sitting here going, breathe, breathe. breathe. It's just happening. We would just fuck it up if yeah. we were. We, we, it's, too we it's, too it's too complex. Yeah. And so, so I think there's a, 
there's an innate intelligence that we've, we're a part of nature. We are nature. We are nature, right? We're a part of nature. We are nature, but somehow we've separated ourselves from this flow of flow of life that is nature that we are we are we're a guest in nature yeah I mean, instead of being yeah it you are it yeah. you are you know we are we are it. Yeah. we are the one <laughs> <laughs> look and, and somehow people say how do i how do i trust life i'm like how the hell i'm not saying i always but how the hell do we not trust life when every second like how do we not trust life i mean it's actually crazier that we don't trust life when every second of this body every second of life life is loving us life is showing us its trustability the blood is pumping everything is functioning mm. you know I had a had a little smoothie this morning it's going through wherever it needs to go into my body like how do we not trust it the sun is shining has there ever been a day that the sun didn't shine that's why loss is so valuable you don't realize what you had until you lose it yeah it's like the it's like you know the idea of like dying before you die as well. It seems like this whole conversation has kind of been about that in a way. You know, like that's like if if you can die before you die, you're in a way better spot. Yes. You know, if you're living your whole and that's the that's the function of rites of passages. It's to it's to push a person, a young person, to a point of of the belief that they might they might not actually make it through this, mm. to the point that through that experience, which I haven't really. I mean, I've done some things that are kind of rite of passage ish, but you know, I've never put my hands in in like fire ants, gloves of fire ants or anything like that. Um, but in that experience, it's not really a rite of passage unless there's actually a chance I might not make it through this. Mm. And the function of that is to come to the point of actually surrendering, surrendering yourself. And then the body makes it through it, but you have this new level of freedom yep. because you actually accepted transitioning. Yep. It's like the, the um, oh, what's the, oh God, I always forget this freaking movie remember remember the 5th of september or whatever the guy the 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 uh what is what is the movie he takes him uh crap he's it's in it's in britain takes a girl uh <laughs> she like, like puts her in, in a little back room situation and and tortures her and goes through all this different stuff and well, and the, she she eventually when she finally accepts that she's okay to die then he lets her out and she's free. She shaves her head and the whole Ethan thing. Vendetta? Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I always amazing, forget that name. Amazing movie. But that's it. Like that experience, that's the hero's journey. Yeah. That is freedom. Mm. And if you're willing to go through the shit, it's like it wasn't comfortable for her to reach freedom. It was yeah. fucking terrifying freedom and isn't, terrible. isn't free. But on the other side of that, it was like, oh, wow, this is it. But to, yeah. to birth a child, it's going to be bloody and you're like, whoa, it's like, oh God, like this is life. This is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's like hard for some people to look at because it's that gruesome. And I don't know, is there any other way to do it? Like, can we do it in like a comfortable kind of like TV dinner, you know, microwave? I, 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 to be honest, seconds I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I think the degree to which we're conditioned and holding on tightly, I would say is the degree to which we might have to experience some real gruesome cracking open because that's the degree to which we're holding on and and there is a correspondent perhaps necessary energetic crack that is necessary to cause us inspire us to let go mm -hmm. um maybe for those that have less trauma and less pain and less conditioning maybe there's less less needed but i think you know we incarnate into this human experience and this human experience in nature, I don't think is meant to be uh, perfect, 
utopia. I think the human experience is a realm of duality. The human experience is a realm of interdependent polaric opposites. That's the nature of life. Up, yeah. down, good, bad, positive, negative, rich, poor, you know, health, sickness. This realm is a realm of limitation. And so I think in this realm, this domain, this human incarnation, there will always be challenges. There will never not be a moment where like the waves in the ocean stop. There will always be ups and downs. So I think part of it is we kind of have to stop hoping or praying for like it to get easier. And if anything, develop the mental, emotional capacity to surf the waves. And so to me, this realm is, is a realm of limitation. And so I think we incarnate into the human experience with all this bliss and it's piss and it's up and it's down. It's, it's the yin and the yang. It's, it's, it's the Tao, man. It's physics, plus and minus. I think when we can embrace the challenges that are going to be in this human dimension, that's a level of surrender when we can embrace that and stop resisting it, then I think it, it can shift our relationship to life. Not saying it makes it easier, but a level of the, the, the suffering I think can end. There still might be challenge. There still might be struggling in moments, but I think a level of the suffering can end because there will be challenge no matter how awakened we get, no matter how transformed we get, no matter how evolved we get. I think if we're in a human body, this is the realm of limitation. So I think we incarnate into this realm to experience the challenges and the difficulties and the ups and the death and the losses in the limitation, not to be limited, but so that we can become, I don't say masters of limitation, masters in limitation to find a deeper freedom within ourselves. And I think that's part of the purpose of this. And so can we experience only bliss and love and light in this dimension? I, I don't think so. I think, I think as human beings, we probably wouldn't have incarnated if there wasn't some level of challenge that mm. we need to go through. Yeah, and as human beings, we all have our own ego structures. It feels like the, the challenge, like <clears throat> I think people who are in a what feels to be a desperate spot in this moment, um, I, I feel like there's a, like, a, like a certain mechanics or physics to this where the deeper the challenge, the deeper the pain, the deeper the growth, the deeper the gift. Yeah. If you went through kind of like just a, a you know, a, an alrighty, banal, decent, comfortable life. Like I think that's the worst thing that could happen to someone. Yes. I hear that. I hear that. And and I do agree often the deeper the challenge, the deeper the gift. I think that's- If that's, you're able to grow from it. If you're able, yeah, I think that's- So there's, a, there's, a, there's like- that's, un, that's undeniable. And I think we also on the flip side have to be careful to not get addicted to the drama or the suffering. You know, because that right. can also be another, like constantly seeking to go through challenge can be its own addiction mm -hmm. at the same time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Which probably comes to, to old, these old vestigial stories that you have about yourself that yeah. you belong in chaos. You yes. don't deserve love. Yes. You don't deserve safety. You don't deserve Look connection. for me, look, you know, just, just. So then it's on why, how do we tap into the subconscious to start to be able to just come into honesty with the stories that we're, that we're playing. Like I, I was someone who always had to have things be hard. Sure. The harder it was, bro, the better it was. As much as I would say, 
I'm tired of struggling. As much as I would say, I'm tired of it being hard relationships, hard, hard everything. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I wasn't actually open and willing for things to be easy. Yeah, you're gonna find a fight. Because it was almost as though the harder it was, the more I had to work. The more difficult it was, the more I had to effort, I had to do. And the more I did from an ego level, the more valuable and worthy I felt. And so I had to look at why, why the honesty was, why do I want things to be hard? What am I getting out of it being hard? What's the payoff in it being hard? Even though I was saying, I don't want it to be hard. The honesty was, I want it to be hard. And so what am I getting from that? And I saw that, oh, I was getting a sense of val value and validation because if I work hard and I help people and I do more and I do more, then I feel like I'm enough finally. And so once I was able to just you know acknowledge that, that's I think when we can do the work to bring loving you know to those parts of ourselves. I'd like to take a moment and share about a supplement that has changed the game in the way that I sleep and that is supplementing with magnesium. Magnesium is one of those things that it's just wise to supplement with because it's deficient in our soil. So 75% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. Magnesium is imperative for muscular recovery, rest, relaxation. Uh, it's also supportive for bone density, digestion, a lot of things. It's a big deal. And Mag Breakthrough from Bioptimizers is my go-to. It's been my go-to for years. I really love the stuff. Uh, it contains all seven different forms of magnesium. They have a 100% money back guarantee. If you do not feel more relaxed, if you do not feel like you're improving your muscular recovery, then they don't want your money and they have a 100% money back guarantee. So if you want to improve the quality of your sleep, like I have done with Mag Breakthrough, then you can go over to magbreakthrough.com slash podcast. You can use the code align10 for a 10% discount. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash podcast, and then use align10 for 10% discount. I'm gonna take a moment and share one of my favorite sponsors to date. That is Vivo Barefoot. These are my favorite shoes. When people ask me what kind of shoes do I recommend for barefoot running, barefoot training, barefoot casual wear, Vivo Barefoot, they are at the top of the market. Most other barefoot shoes are coming off of the trend of Vivo. They did it first, they did it best. They're still doing it best in my opinion. And I think you guys would really love these shoes. Also, if you wanna try them, they have a 100 day money back guarantee. So if you get this shoe, you don't absolutely love it, you don't think it looks cool, you don't get good compliments on it, doesn't improve your training, then you get a full refund for the first 100 days. So you have absolutely nothing to lose and you can get 15% off by going to vivobarefoot.com slash align. That's spelled V-I-V-O-B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T.com slash align for 15% off 100 day free trial. You guys are going to love these things. They're my favorite shoe. I hope you enjoy vivobarefoot.com slash align. Probably also like a subconscious seeking of control. Whereas if everything was like, like we're at ease, like we're in the ocean. Yeah. You know, like that's, there's, it's hard to like wrangle the ocean. Yeah. You know, whereas if you have a battle in front of you, there's something that can divert your attention into controlling. Yeah. You know, so I feel like that perhaps could, I always think of like, what is like the, the adaptive function of patterns that seem to do a disservice to our, our lives. I feel like for many people, or at least for myself, when I'm in those instances of like creating little like micro traumas and battles, 
I, I have a suspicion that that's a, a deeper sensation of feeling out of control yeah and me finding something to blow up just so i can wrangle it together to have a temporary sense of i'm in control yeah or i exist or I exist yeah. right and that's, the, and that's the egos you know <laughs> mechanism of I, i'm the doer here right and look at jesus like you know i grew up in the church i'm going to butcher this quote but you know, jesus who performed these miracles would would often say there was a quote where he says something like it's not i that does the work it's the father that does the work through me. So he knew it's not I as a limited self that does the work. It's like the universe, consciousness, this innate intelligence, the divine that does the work. And, 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 but that, that's scary. Mm. So just, I wonder, there's a few <clears throat> questions, like little short questions I had had for you. So I'm pulling the, the old computer out. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask is what, what is the value of withholding forgiveness for a person? What is the value? Yeah. Yeah, I'm unwilling to forgive. I'm going to hold on to that. What is the, what is the, the value? What is the strategy in that for a person to withhold forgiveness? You know, I don't, th I, ultimately in the biggest sense, I don't think there is a, a real value in withholding. Because I think when we withhold forgiveness, we enslave ourselves. When we withhold forgiveness, we just give our power away to the other person. Mm. When we withhold forgiveness, waiting for the other person to make amends or what have you, we are making ourselves a slave, really, to the situation and the other person. Um, but I think sometimes we might withhold forgiveness as a form of control. Sometimes, you know, we, we may withhold forgiveness as a way of punishing the other person you know, so we can feel vindicated in a certain way. There's always a good intention, but I think in the long run, it just limits us, you know, and it just inhibits us. So in the long run, I don't think there's a real value. We might get a temporary value, like, oh, I'm showing them, I'm getting revenge on them, you know, or sometimes withholding forgiveness might be a, a, a strategy of, if I don't forgive, then I don't have to, trust again i don't have to open my heart again mm -hmm. and so 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 the the underlying intention is if i don't forgive i keep my heart closed i can protect myself and so the intention is good like i don't forgive then i can stay closed i'll never get hurt again because i won't open again because i don't forgive again and but it's just a limited way of doing that mm. you know ultimately and so then we end up carrying the resentment and the pain and the hurt within ourselves and i don't think uh, I don't think anybody is worth your freedom. Nobody, nobody, not your mom, not your dad, not Buddha, not Jesus, not the president, nobody is worth your freedom at the end of the day. And so I think forgiving another person is not just about forgiving them. Obviously, we've heard you do it for yourself. Yes, it's true. Number one, you do it for yourself. But truly forgiving is also the willingness to forgive yourself, to forgive that version of yourself. You know, and I think it's easier to also forgive when you focus on your responsibility in that situation and learning the lessons. You know, look, I believe we're all souls. We incarnate to this human experience to learn to grow and evolve. If that's the case, all of life is a university. That means that situation and that person somehow 
you've attracted each other in order to learn and evolve. And if life is a classroom, they're your teacher, you can stay on the surface level of ego of like, well, they did this to me, the one dimensional level, the goal line. But I think if you drop down to a deeper multi-dimensional level of I'm a soul, they're a soul, this is a classroom. Life is about evolution. And you start seeing yourself from a solular, solistic, if that's a word, a solular perspective versus just separate body, me, you, this, that. Then you start focusing more on how can I use this experience that was maybe screwed up and there were things that occurred and I might need to still handle I might need to take that person to court. I might need to like block that person from my life. There might be some real things you need to do to protect yourself, but to give them your energy and your power in not forgiving, to me, that's, that's slavery. And so if we really then focus on, I'm a soul, and why did my soul attract this experience? Put them aside for a moment. Let them, like, let them deal with their own karma. You know, to me, karma does not forget its own address, its energy that whatever they put out will go back to them. What is my soul seeking to learn? How can I use this experience for my evolution? And I think if we can learn the lesson for why we attracted that person and what this person or this experience is serving, I think that also helps us free ourselves from the experience and making it less about that person. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. This was, this was, uh, I really enjoyed this. Cool. It's fun. Is there anything, so you have the, your most recent book. You have several books. The most yes. recent book is You Are the One. No, the most recent one is The Magic of Surrender. Oh, I mixed that up. Sorry, you guys sent me sent me out both books. Magic. I liked I I really enjoyed the shit out of both of them. Awesome. Um so okay. So where's the best place to point people from here if they want to go deeper into your work, if they want to go deeper into obviously grab a book. Yeah, grab a book, The Magic of Surrender yeah. on Amazon. Um my website, coopblackson.com is is one where they can find out the general sense of my work. Uh, mm. Twice a year I do an event to Bali where we, I take people through an experiential process of unraveling and unconditioning. Great. And that's kind of the deepest level. That's uh, boundlessblissbali.com. People you used to do that in India. I used oh, to do- Oh, this, is a, this uh, is a big group retreat. You did yeah, a thing in India to, where you I, take I one person do, out. Yeah, one-on-one. -on -one, what a crazy thing. One-on-one -on -one crazy journeys to India where I take away your passport, take away your money, you're stuck with me. I did 21 of those journeys. I don't do wow. those anymore. That's so then, cool. I, then I do them in India. That how many days were in Bali? How many days would you do it with people? In India, it was the first one was fourteen. Then it ended up being twelve. Mm. But they were they were crazy journeys, man. They were crazy. I make you sign your will, yeah, in, in, before we go, in case you don't come back. I make you. That's great. Uh, write letters to everyone in your life in case you don't come back. Obviously, everyone came back. Thank God. Yeah. But uh, it's know, a good practice, right? It, it's a practice of of like you are going to die. Yeah. At some point. You like if you don't surrender now on your deathbed, there will be a level of surrender that will have to happen. Oh, it's happening. It's happening every moment. And so I think the more we can just like face like meditate on your death, like I'm gonna die. Yeah. And just feel that. Just feel it. I've had um several people that work um with you know people on their 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 deathbed. Zach Bush in particular was was someone that, me, that, yeah. that that stands out for this. But um one of the things that he mentioned in that was the level of healing that he's witnessed as a person is taking their last breaths because it goes into this, you know, if you're 30 years old or whatever, you can hang on to resentment and blame and criticization and anger and all of that. Cause you got lots of time to purge that shit. 
But well, when you, you have, think you have lots, of you time. think you have lots of time to purge that shit, you know. And it's like, yeah, screw them. Like, ah, they they did this to me, and you can you can be in that. You know, we got time. But when you have two minutes left, suddenly there's just not a lot of space for that. Most of that stuff that which we, I don't know a lot about this, but from what Zach's said, and I, I I resonate. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. Most of the stuff we hold on to is we won't even remember. Mm. Most of it we won't, won't even remember when we're dying. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it, man. Life is short. Every moment is precious. You know. Die before you die. Every moment. To be free. What a what a great conversation. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much. Should people go to the? Are you on the gram? You're on the gram. Instagram, Coop Blackson. Coop Blackson. Coop um, Love now on Facebook. If anyone uses Facebook still. The old FB. All the <laughs> all the all you parents out there, get on the get on the FB. Um, all right. That's it. That's all. Thank you so much, Coop. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Enjoyed that conversation. Remember to subscribe to this wherever you're listening to this so you get each week's episodes. Thank you so much for the reviews wherever you're listening to this and sharing it on social media. You can tag me at Align Podcast, Coot at Coot Blackson. And lastly, we have opened up enrollment for the Align Method online program. It's a six-week program, breaks down recovering full functional range of motion of every joint in your body, teaches you how to move more effectively, and then also how to regulate your nervous system. The first week is completely free jump over there and start the movement assessment and just start there. I think the, the first week is worth it in and of itself. It'd be worth the cost of the program and it's free. So that's convenient. So you can jump over to alignpodcast.com slash AMP to start the free first week of the Align Method online program. I'll see you guys next week.